But today we're continuing in our series on spiritual warfare. The slide up there. Last Sunday we talked about temptation. We talked about the serpent's strategy. We looked at the very first temptation in the Bible. The Garden of Eden when the serpent tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Now many people today regard that story of the first temptation as a myth. It didn't really happen. There really wasn't a serpent. Uh, Adam and Eve weren't real people. They think it, it, is, uh, it isn't actual. It didn't happen. And yet the Bible records it and comments on it as a very real event. The writers in the New Testament refer back to it as something that really happened. And I believe it did happen that way. And it was the very first instance of spiritual warfare. Who was involved in spiritual warfare? Well, it's human beings, Adam and Eve in the case in the Garden of Eden, versus the serpent or Satan and uh, his temptation, Satan as the, ter- as the tempter. If you look at polls, many people today don't believe that Satan is real. They believe he's just a myth as well. He's just a symbol of evil. And yet, <clears throat> several weeks ago, we spoke of Jesus' temptation, and who was he tempted by? The Bible records it as Satan himself coming to tempt Jesus. And so, the Bible tells us and refers to Satan as a very powerful, very cunning enemy, and he is bent on our destruction. And so, we mustn't ignore him. We mustn't think he doesn't exist. We mustn't be ignorant of his schemes. In your bulletin, there's a white page. I'd encourage you to take it out. It has the outline and the verses written out. You can take some notes along there, along with it. And uh, tonight, at least the Sunday night group, will be looking at the study questions on the back in our discussion. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I realize that's not a full sentence, but we don't have time to get into the whole passage. But in other words, what we can gather from that verse is that if we're not aware of Satan's schemes, we don't think he's real, if we don't know the way he tries to tempt us, we can be outwitted by him. He can pull the wool over our eyes. He can cause us to fall into temptation. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who is our enemy? The devil, he's our enemy. And is he just a nice, sweet pussycat? No, he's a roaring lion. Uh, who would like to stand close to a roaring lion? It would not be a safe place to be, would it? It's not safe to be around him. And so what does the verse tell us to do? What is the command in the verse? Be self-controlled and alert. Not out of control, not laxical, daisical, but alert and self-controlled because we're in a battle. Because there's an enemy out there whose sole aim is to destroy you, to devour you. And so we need to be alert to his schemes. Does the devil devour people? All you have to do is read the news. People are being devoured right and left. Why? Because they're not alert, because they're not self-controlled, because they're not operating in the power of God. 
And so I pray that today's message will warn us, uh, prepare us to better deal with the danger of this enemy. I pray that it will help us to take measures to protect ourselves, to protect our families, to protect our church family as well. It's easy to be lulled into a false sense of security. It's easy to think that things that are dangerous, like Satan, really won't hurt us. Uh, It's just a figment of somebody's imagination. When we were on vacation in Yellowstone a few weeks ago, we were privileged to see all kinds of wildlife that you wouldn't normally see. We saw elk, we saw moose, we saw, what else did we see? We think it was badgers. Uh, We saw some of these furry little things. You don't know quite what they are. You don't want to get too close to them. Uh, We saw all different kinds of things. We, We didn't see bear. We were looking for bear. But I prayed every time we went on a hike, we wouldn't see the bear on a hike. And God answered our prayer. We didn't want to see a bear on a hike. But we did see lots of buffalo at close range as we drove along the roads. Sometimes there were herds of them, whole herds crossing the road in front of us. On one occasion, one particular day, we saw a lone buffalo quite close to the road. And so we pulled over to get a little better look. And a lot of other people pulled over to get a look. We were in the car uh, looking at this buffalo, horns on his head, big guy, you know, they're, they're pretty big. And uh, we saw people start to get out of their cars to get a little closer to see this buffalo and to take some pictures. One guy in particular caught our attention, and one young man got about uh, 20 feet away from the buffalo, turned his back on the buffalo. What was he doing? Oh. Yeah, okay, take a <laughs> selfie. And... Uh, you know, he was pretty close. Like, well, that was, you know, daring of him. So this guy, 20 feet away, starts backing up closer to the buffalo. And uh, he got about 10 feet away, and he puts the phone up again, and we're watching with bated breath. And a little buff, not little, big buffalo, stamped his feet and charged the guy. And, it, and all of a sudden, both of them disappeared behind a, a little hill. We couldn't see what happened. We go, oh, no, the guy's dead. For sure he's dead. And, I'd say, oh, and my first thought was, why didn't I have my camera out on video? But it happened. It would have gone viral. It would have been so great. But I, I wasn't fast enough. And then we saw, over the top of the hill, this guy running for his life. i never seen anybody run faster. He ran up the hill. He jumped in his car and sped off. He didn't want to talk to anybody. And the buffalo kind of wandered around eating some more grass. And so uh, the buffalo must have stopped. I think the buffalo could have made him toast, you know, but he must have stopped. He just like, you're invading my space. Get away. And the guy got away. And so that buffalo, he was not a nice, gentle, you know, soft little fuzzy animal that posed for selfies. He was a He was a dangerous beast, you know, he is a wild animal. And that young man was not very alert, uh, a little out of control. The guidelines in the park say stay 25 yards away from any buffalo. And uh, it could have led to tragedy. In the same way, we mustn't play with sin, we mustn't play with temptation, thinking we're immune from danger. Some people, how close can I get to sin without falling into its clutches. You know, how much can I do and just get to the edge of the precipice and not fall in? We want to stay far away from sin. We want to stay 
far away from the tempter. We want to stay far away from Satan. We want to be protected because he's dangerous. He kills people. He destroys people. And so today our message is the armor of God. We're going to be talking about the armor of God, how the armor of God can protect us. And in order for the armor to protect us, we need to put it on every day. A believer is not automatically protected from Satan. We cannot stand up to him in our own strength, in our own power. We look at a passage in Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, is this verse a statement or a command? It's a command. We need to sometimes be careful when we read the Bible. Some things are statements, as this is true, and other things are commands. And a command can be obeyed or ignored. And so we want to obey God's commands. A more literal rendering of the Greek here would be, be empowered in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Seek the Lord's power in your life because we need the Lord's power in order to stand against a very powerful and cunning foe. Some people talk about, you know, I'm going to stomp on Satan. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> you're no match for the devil. You're not going to stomp on anybody uh, in your own strength. And we need to seek God's strength in order to stand against him because we're all involved in a spiritual warfare with him. We need to stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has schemes designed specifically against you. It's not one scheme for everybody. He has schemes designed to take you down, to defeat you and your family. His schemes involve using temptations that you are particularly vulnerable to. See, everybody isn't vulnerable to the same temptation. There's things I, like, I could care less about that other people are falling for. And there's things I might fall for that other people like, it's no temptation to me. Why would I do such a silly thing? Each person is vulnerable to different temptations, and Satan knows what those are. He knows how to accuse you in different areas so that you feel defeated. He has plans to deceive you in areas where your understanding of God's word is weak or you misunderstand God's word. And he's going to attack you in those areas. His schemes involve driving wedges between spouses and marriages. He has schemes to divide parents from children. He has schemes to cause disagreements between believers in churches. He wants to divide. He wants to destroy. And how can we stand against these schemes? By putting on the full armor of God. We're going to be talking more about how to do that in a minute. Our battle is against evil spiritual forces. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so this is a very important verse. So often we think that our problems, our struggles in life are caused by other people. If only so-and-so hadn't done this. You know, this person is a problem. And if they weren't in my life, things would be easy. I, I 
hopefully I didn't point at anybody. I just, the general hand gesture, you have to be very careful as a preacher when you say certain things. So I wasn't pointing at anybody here in particular. The Greek word for struggle here implies hand-to-hand combat. And so this verse tells us we're not struggling against other people. Our warfare, our battle is against levels of, of evil spiritual forces. Now, of course, these evil spiritual forces can manipulate people. They can cause people to do their bidding. They can use people in their nefarious purposes. But behind it all is evil spiritual forces. Satan is not omnipresent as God is, and so he uses evil spiritual forces to carry out his scheme. He has a whole array of reporting evil and a reporting evil army, okay, with different ranks, and that's what's referred to here. He has demons that oppress and possess people. He has other evil powers over the demons. Uh, the Bible talks about evil forces, evil powers over cities, over nations. And these all report to Satan, and he uses all these things. And that is what we're struggling against as believers. And so what is the first thing that we must do in the battle? It's to put on God's armor. Now, if I'm reading my Bible right, in verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. In verse 13, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. What are we to think when Scripture repeats itself? It's important. It's being emphasized. It's a command. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. A little repetition there too, isn't it? And so the full armor of God is not just armor that God supplies to us. It's the armor that God himself wears in battle. Isaiah 59 verse 12 speaks of the Lord putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And so we are putting on the very armor of God to protect us against the devil's schemes and battle tactics so that we can be strong in the Lord. Notice that in verse 13, you might want to underline the little word when, so that when the day of evil comes, it's not if the day of evil comes, the day of evil is going to come into your life. Uh, what's the day of evil? The day of evil is a day when Satan really attacks you. Now, there's a certain sense he attacks you every day, but who knows, some days are worse than others. The days of evil come to us from time to time when the devil really attacks us, really attacks our family. And so this, this uh, full armor needs to be put on. Do we put the armor on when we realize the day of evil is happening? We should be prepared. We should have the armor on so when the evil attacks, we are ready. We will be, we are in a battle with evil, and so we must be prepared. So what is the goal of putting on the armor of God? In verse 11, uh, again it says, in, back to verse 11, so that you can take your stand against the devil's tactics. In verse 13, it says you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. And so we put the armor on so that we can stand. What does that mean? Well, what's the opposite of standing? Falling. Oh, who falls? The wounded soldier, right? The soldier that doesn't have the armor on, the enemy gets him and he falls. God doesn't want us to fall. He wants us to stand. 
What's another way that we may not stand? Well, a soldier who runs from the enemy is not standing his ground, is he? A, sto- a soldier that runs in fear. God wants us to have courage to stand our ground, to hold our position. A soldier who stands his ground is not afraid to let his light shine. He's not afraid to do battle for his commander-in-chief. He's not afraid to tell others about the one that he serves. In our case, would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to have courage to stand our ground as we put on this full armor of God. So how do we put on God's armor? The Bible wants us to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm then. How many times have we been commanded to stand now? And nobody can count, huh? Let's see, one, two, three, four. This is the fourth time already in in four verses. So stand firm. So we're going to look at it uh, briefly at each piece of armor and understand what it is and how, how to put it on. The first thing is to put on the belt of truth, and generally speaking, these, the order of putting this armor on, I'm told, is the order that a Roman soldier would put on his armor. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And so the belt for the Roman soldier was a leather apron-like thing that secured the soldier's tunic in place, was a place that he could hang his sword from. It kind of tied everything together, and so the belt of truth speaks of Integrity, it speaks of honest character in our lives. It, talks, it speaks of us speaking truthfully, not lying, not deceiving people, speaking the truth of God's word. It speaks of our, uh, our words matching our actions, not saying one thing and doing another. To put on the belt of truth is to put off hypocrisy, to put off deception, to put off all forms of lying, to speak the truth in love. If we don't have that belt of truth on, then everything else is not going to work. Satan's going to have an opening to attack us. So the belt of truth. Next is the breastplate of righteousness, or as I call it, the breastplate of righteous conduct. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so the breastplate provided protection from the neck down to the upper thighs. There was usually a front piece and a back piece. And it protected all the vital organs. I believe the breastplate of righteousness refers to righteous conduct of doing the things that Jesus would have us do. Of living our lives according to the word of God. Now, if you are living righteously, if you are doing the things that God commands you to do, are you going to have time to do the wrong things? No. I mean, sometimes it's not just saying, no, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. It's let's start doing the right things, and we won't have time or energy to do the wrong things. And so the opposite of righteous conduct is unrighteous conduct, which is sin. And sin opens the door for the enemy to attack us. Uh, we are vulnerable to him. And so as I, as I mentioned, the best defense is a good offense. If we're doing the right things, we won't be doing the wrong things. If we're pursuing righteousness... We're going to be running from unrighteousness. So putting on the breastplate of righteous conduct. Then for our feet, we need boots or sandals ready to go. Verse 15. And with your feet 
fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so the Roman soldiers wore hobnailed sandals. They had kind of cleat-like studs underneath that, that dug into the ground so that when they were fighting in hand-to-hand -hand combat, their feet wouldn't slip. They had a firm, firm footing. And so to put on boots is to be steadfast in the gospel of peace. That, that is the anchor, the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ is the anchor. It's the thing that we stand on. I mean, if we're waffling on what the gospel is, uh, then we're on very shaky ground. We need to have our feet firmly planted and be ready to both uh, speak of and to stand firm on the gospel, planted on the rock of Jesus Christ, our firm foundation. Next is the shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the Roman shield was very large. And sometimes we think of a shield as a little round thing, you know, like, like this. But the Roman shield was two and a half feet wide by four feet high. I would just about disappear behind it. And uh, it would be a good shield for me. It was made of layers of wood, bronze, and ox hide. And in battle, you know, it's a rectangular shield. It could be put side by side, and it would be an impenetrable wall. They could be, if everybody put their shield up in front. They could be raised over the head, providing a roof that protected from enemy arrows raining down upon them as well. And nothing could get through when the soldiers uh, cooperated and put their shields up together. Before battle, the shield was soaked in water. And in particular, that ox hide would become wet because in ancient warfare, they often shot flaming arrows. And it's a good thing if your shield is on fire. It's like, probably not, you see. And so the... Shield was soaked in water so that when this flaming arrow hit it, the water would, would quench the flame and it would go out and would not be a threat. And so to take up the shield of faith is to be strong in your faith. It's to be resisting the doubt uh, of every kind that may come your way. It's to be joined with others, other believers in the church family, so that you can resist Satan together, that our shields can form a wall of protection. And are you going to encounter the flaming arrows of the evil one? We all do probably every day. What are the flaming arrows of the evil one? It could be all kinds of attacks. It could be all kinds of temptations that he's shooting at us, hoping there's a chink in our armor, hoping we've, we're not alert, we're not self-controlled, we haven't put our armor on. And if we allow those to hit us, uh, severe damage can happen. But our shield of faith, our faith in God, can protect us as we put and take up that piece of armor. Next is the helmet of salvation. It says, take the helmet of salvation, verse 17. The helmet of salvation protects our minds, protects our heads. Your head is, is, can be vulnerable. I mean, soldiers wear helmets. It's a critical part of the armor. It refers to our hope and assurance of final salvation. That we believe God's going to help us make it through. It also refers to salvation in a particular battle, in a particular attack. 
God save me, I'm being attacked today. I put on that helmet of salvation. You are the only one that can save me. You are the only one who can protect me. And finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So now we get to the first offensive weapon, right? Everything else is defensive armor. Here we take up the sword of the Spirit. There are different words for sword. Uh, they had different types of swords. This is a short dagger, about 12 to 14 inches long. It's not this big, you know, broadsword or something. It's a short dagger that's used in hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, when you're fighting one other guy one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Now notice it's the spirit sword, it's the word of God. And so that is our offensive weapon, the word of God. Using God's word, speaking the word of God. Now in the Greek, the Greek word for word is not the usual logos, uh, which refers to the written word of God, all of the word of God. It's the Greek word rhema, which refers to a specific word given at a particular time by the Spirit. And so God can speak to us and give us a particular word. Now, obviously, it's going to be based on the written word of God, but this is a word for a particular attack, for a particular season in which we're in spiritual warfare, in which we're in combat. God will give us a word that will help us to repel the enemy. Now, remember, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not sticking daggers into any people. Uh, this is spiritual warfare. And the word of God spoken at the right time can repel Satan and his attacks. Remember, how did Jesus repel Satan's temptations? By speaking the word of God, the right word for the specific temptation, for the specific attack. So we stand firm as we put on the armor of God. Now practically, how do you put on the armor of God? And should we each have a little plastic armor set and we put it on in the morning and then walk around with it? Well, no, it's, it's spiritual armor. We already said, should we wait until we get in a serious battle? Until the day of evil arrives to put on the armor? It may well be too late. You're struggling to put on the armor and the devil is making mincemeat of you. We should always be prepared with the armor on. And I believe that's what this passage is saying. To be alert, to be self-controlled, have your armor on at all times. There's often no forewarning to spiritual attacks. Have you ever been hit out of the blue by something you had no clue was going to happen? And you knew the devil was behind it. It happens. It happens to all of us from time to time. So personally, I found that taking time in the morning, in my morning time with God, is a good time to put the armor on. Now, here's how I've been doing it lately for the past number of months. In my prayer time, I simply say something like this. I say, well, today I put on the belt of truth. I say, God, help me to be truthful today. Help none of my words to be lies, none of my words to be deception, none of my words to be uh, hypocritical words help me to speak the truth in everything that I say and do. And then I go on to the next piece of armor. Now, depending on the day, I may need to emphasize a particular piece of armor. I may know something's coming up, and I may need to emphasize 
that I need to stand firm with boots firmly planted on the Word of God. Or I may need to, we may emphasize, this Holy Spirit may tell you, today you really need to emphasize a particular piece of armor. And so I go through that uh, each and every morning. The order of putting on the six pieces of armor, as I said, is the order that a soldier would put them on. After you go through it a few times, you can just re remember without even looking at Ephesians 6. You put on the belt, you put on the breastplate, the shoes, take up the shield, put on the helmet, and pick up the sword. I might add that this is another reason I recommend starting the day with God. Do you think it makes more sense to put your armor on in the morning or as you're ready to go to bed? Okay, just for all of you that like to spend your time with God at night, you know, it's okay. Jesus did pray late at night. But it's good to be prepared for the day, is it not? So I think the time to put the armor on is in the morning uh, when you get up so you're ready for the day. Again, God may have you put it on a different way, but it's a command. We need to figure out how to do this. It's not going to happen, and I think it's going to happen through prayer as we think about these things and we uh, avail ourselves of what God has for us. The armor exists, we just need to put it on. And finally, we, we pray in the Spirit. Verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And so I believe this is the final, it's not armor, but it's the final essential ingredient to fighting the battle. It's prayer. God's Word commands us to pray in the Spirit, to pray at all times with, with all kinds of prayer. To pray in the Spirit is to pray empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. It can be either praying with your spirit in an unknown language or praying with your mind in a known language. And Paul says he does it both ways. And that's how we should pray in the Spirit. What are we to pray about? We're to pray for the church. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for other believers in the church because they are your fellow soldiers. They are being attacked in different ways. That's one of the reasons we have prayer requests. They alert us of how people may be attacked by the enemy so that we can stand with them and pray for them. Each of us needs prayer support of other believers. And so not only should we pray for other believers, we should also have the humility to let other people know when we are under attack. Some people, oh, I don't want anybody to know. Well, then you're going to lack the prayer support. If it's something significant, we need to let other people know what's going on and engage the support of fellow prayer warriors. Not only are we to pray for the church, we're to pray for our witness. Verse 19, pray also for me, Paul is writing this, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And so we're to pray for one another that we would be courageous witnesses. That's our offense. What is our offensive weapon? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's our testimony, speaking God's Word to other people that their hearts may change, that they may come to Jesus Christ so that people may be rescued from Satan's power and ultimately saved. We pray in the Spirit. Now, what does prayer have to do with armor and spiritual warfare? Well, prayer is communication. It's our two-way radio, is it not? It's we communicate with our commanding officer. 
We make requests for strength. We make requests for reinforcement, for guidance, for direction. And so I always say prayer is two-way communication. We, we make our request to God and then we listen for his answer. God wants to communicate with you. We need to have ears to hear what he's saying to us. And so sometimes God will communicate with us before the battle happens. He may warn us to get ready. At other times in the midst of the battle, he may communicate with us to what to do, what to say, and what way to turn. And so prayer is communication for ourselves. It could be communication and prayer for other believers uh, in our family or in our church family. And we're praying for others if they're under attack. And we do a fair amount of that. We also need to pray for others to go on the offensive, to witness to unsaved family members, to unsaved workmates, to unsaved neighbors, to people we know, that people might be one back from the dominion of Satan and come into the kingdom of God. And so praying in the Spirit is an essential component of utilizing the armor of God. And so fighting the battle with the evil one begins with being strong in the Lord, putting on the full armor of God on a daily basis, standing firm in God's power, standing firm in God's power, communicating with Him through the Spirit, through praying in the Spirit. And our goal is to stand firm, allow God to use us to rescue others, and to win the victory with Him and with His help. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, if you're not sure you're part of God's army, here's how to become part of that army. We're going to pray a simple prayer, and this simple prayer is how you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your commander-in-chief. That's simply admitting that you've done wrong, that you've sinned. You've been following and giving in to Satan's temptations. Be believing that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. And finally, committing your life to serving Him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, I'd encourage you to pray along with me or if you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. Say something like this, Father, today I admit that I've done wrong things. I've given in to temptation. I've sinned. But I believe that Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. Come into my life. I commit myself to serving you as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your strength and for your power that's available to us in the battle that we face each and every day. Empower us, God. Make us strong. Help us to be alert. Help us to be self-controlled. Help us not to be lulled into a sense of complacency. Help us to remember to put on your armor every day and to accurately yield, wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that we might do damage to the enemy. May we not pray out of our own desires, but may we pray for your direction in the battle. May you speak to us clearly and may we follow your command. Even when we might 
want to do something different, may we always follow your word. God, we thank you, God, for the victories that are going to be won as we learn to put on your armor and stand firm on your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.